Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Hi, welcome back to the Soul Grit Podcast. This is Anne, and I'm here today with Jessica Gaffney, who's a therapist out of Florida. Hi, Jessica. Hi. It's good to have you here. Now you go by the trauma expert on your website, thetraumaexpert.com. And I'd like you to tell us a little bit about what you do through that kind of branch of the services that you offer. Sure. Well, I'm a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Florida. Once in a while, I provide some coaching services outside of the state, and I'm sort of working on that. My niche is really PTSD and people who've come in having anxiety for years and haven't really realized that a specific situation kind of took over their life and is still causing some trauma. So most of what I do is relate around the triggers for PTSD and how the brain works because of that, how a person just needs some help getting back to normal instead of being kind of all over the place during the day. So we do that just through sessions and we're working on some new online classes. Great. Now I know when I went through my EMDR training so that I would know how to treat trauma, it really kind of revolutionized the way that I conceptualize my cases. Because as you said, somebody might be coming in just for anxiety and they're like, not sure why they just keep having, you know, the biological or even the social or intellectual symptoms of anxiety. But really what's happened is that there's an underlying trauma that they maybe just kind of stuffed down and said, that wasn't a big deal. I should be able to cope with it. But what you're saying is those are the kind of people that you're realizing this is not just, just anxiety. This is PTSD. Can you describe a little bit more of that? I think anyone who wants to work on themselves is going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. When we tell ourselves we need to be strong and push through it, we're not doing any work to stop the thought patterns that are ingrained in our mind. You brought up EMDR, and within that network, they have a list of negative cognitions. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure if you've seen it. Of course. And many people have these core beliefs that when something traumatic had happened to them, or let's say their parents didn't meet their needs, they would then develop some sort of negative belief of, well, I'm not good enough. So that's why they're not listening to me. Mm -hmm. And if we can find that core belief, we'll figure out, It's kind of like the pot that the anxiety plant sits in. So what's feeding the anxiety is usually this underlying belief that you would never go looking for unless you ran into a therapist who knew how to uproot it. So thanks for your work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, for our listeners, if you're a little bit confused by what we're talking about here and you don't know what EMDR is, that's eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And if you want to go back into 
um, previous Soul Grit episodes, I have a whole episode that's telling you about what it is, how it works. It's not scary. It's not voodoo. It's how the Holy Spirit works with our brains, the natural way that God created our brains to work, to be able to heal from trauma. So I'll link that episode in the show notes so that you can kind of catch up on what Jessica and I are talking about here. But moving forward, you mentioned the list of negative cognitions, and that's mm-hmm. also some something that somebody could just Google. But can you tell us, Jessica, what are some common negative cognitions that you see people coming in with when they when they feel like they just have anxiety? You mentioned not they don't usually know the negative cognitions until I give them a list. Yeah. And there's about I think there's 32 or 35 on the list that I use. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, gee, do I get to pick half of these? And then we try to narrow it down. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm not good enough is a big one yeah. and probably followed up by, I wish I had the list in front of me. I'm not lovable and it's all my fault. Mm-hmm. And just in hearing someone say that I'm not good enough and I'm not lovable and it's all my fault. You can tell that something happened to them that they didn't understand and they're trying to figure it out. Yeah. And if we don't get answers to our questions, it seems like we'll keep asking those things and blaming ourselves as we grow up. And what I found too with EMDR is that it works kind of like hand in hand with what we've been talking about with cognitive behavioral therapy. If you've listened to Soul Grit for a while, I've talked about that several times. In fact, if you go back just a couple episodes, you'll hear me talk about it again. And what CBT does is kind of identifies those negative beliefs and then gives you a process for changing the beliefs. But what we find with trauma sometimes is those beliefs are so deeply held and so ingrained almost in your your body, in your anatomy, <laughs> that you can't just think your way out of these symptoms that you're experiencing. And so EMDR gives you a, uh, a biological way of activating your body into that healing process, as well as some other trauma methods that I'm sure you're familiar with, Jessica. (laughs) Whatever works for the person and let God open that door and step in because it's hard to start relying on something new. You can't just create a new habit. Yeah. Good. Now, um, Jessica, we started talking because you are really interested in applying some of these concepts to people who work in ministry. Now you told me that you're working on another advanced degree in biblical studies. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? (laughs) I am working on my doctorate in uh, religious studies focused on biblical studies. Um, What that basically means is I'm going through the Bible to try to find the context the way the sentences are structured to make sure that what we've landed on in the evangelical faith is lining up with what God's heart actually was. And I'm seeing some discrepancies and these are not my discrepancies. They're well known within scholarship. So we could start with something very simple of I've been divorced and I remember hearing, you know, God hates divorce. You have to try to make the marriage work. In my instance, um, there was a lot of violence and battery going on, so it didn't have any common sense to why you should make the marriage work. There wasn't one. So when I started to go through the Bible 
I had one of those Hebrew and Greek Bibles with the concordance numbers. And I found out that when God was saying that he hated divorce, he was speaking to the nation of Israel when they were going into exile and they were literally leaving his hands and walking off to another. Mm. So the premise there of him hating divorce was basically separation. And the first time you see the word divorce is when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden in Genesis 3. Hmm. So I figured if I got to all of that without going to school, what could I find if I went to school? So I would like to reduce the anxiety of people in the faith community who don't really talk about their emotions too much because we've said, hey, if you have a faith in God, if you're praying, then you shouldn't have any problems. Hmm. And yet the more I read scriptures, we see these characters who had a plethora of problems, which led to mistakes. And then they reconciled with God. And I just want to keep studying that to be able to free people from some of the things they've learned that are not serving them well. Yeah. And so I'm sure you have a vision for how that's going to integrate with your work as a therapist, or maybe that's still developing yet. Can you speak to that? I think I'm stepping out of therapy in order to help the masses because within therapy, we are, we have a great toolbox, but we're limited to a person one hour at a time and insurance and high costs. So I'm putting the two together. It's called the trauma pastor. And I believe I can bring a lot of the pastoral traits to the masses, to an online group, to a community of women who are trying to get through certain struggles. So we're talking about mental health, but it's also for people who have a high biblical background who may be getting stuck somewhere. And I wanna help them undo those sticky parts and really free themselves. And then hopefully God will plant a whole new garden of people going out to help others. Wouldn't that be what America needs? Yeah. So tell me about this name, the trauma pastor, like it's a little provocative. So tell me where that came from. Ooh, I haven't got that feedback yet. (laughs) Well, because I'm already known as the trauma expert, you know, after a month of looking at all of these words, it just seemed to go hand in hand with pastoral work. And, you know, once I have this doctorate degree, I would be allowed to do that. So it's kind of maybe bringing the church online but talking about these matters and always undoing the biblical rhetoric of maybe something that tied you up. I hope it's common sense to people. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like that these um, maybe inappropriate or false interpretations of the Bible have caused trauma to people? <laughs> oh, what a fired question. Of course, we can just look at where women are today And sometimes we have a pastor who's completely overwhelmed, just wanting to not have another divorce in his congregation, Mm -hmm. give insight, or let's look at maybe pastors who are doing two funeral services a month that can weigh quite a bit on them, especially if they've lost a loved one. Mm -hmm. And so we're not perfect people. Sometimes we're overwhelmed when we come into a work session or when we come in on a Sunday morning or into a counseling session at your church, Mm -hmm. you don't really know what that layman is thinking when they sit down with you. And there's so much of the Bible to know they could easily steer you the wrong way, or you could hear it the wrong way too, because trauma puts cotton in our ears. (laughs) Yeah. 
So it's, it's hard to hear clearly what you need in that moment, because like you said, some of those negative core beliefs are almost blocking you from like receiving new truth in the first place. Sure. And that would be a great thing to be aware of when you're praying to ask the Holy Spirit to give you that sense of calm, to hear the truth that you need to hear, to hear his voice instead of someone else's or your own leading you astray. Mm-hmm. Can you see how that would happen? Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking, how would you counsel someone like you mentioned, like maybe a divorce is imminent and somebody's gone to their pastor to have some counsel on this. And the pastor, like you said, may be overwhelmed with other things going on in the church or maybe hasn't had appropriate training for how to handle these issues. Like, what would you say to the person who really hasn't received good counsel from their spiritual leader? I believe that our spiritual leaders are let's say experts in the spiritual field, but as human beings, we have the emotional field, we have our skeletal bodies, we have doctors with all different um, degrees and specialties, we have our financial life, we have our genes, we have our neighborhood and community. We need to find someone who can at least tie two areas together. Yeah, I know you mentioned earlier when someone wants to use a tool for anxiety, it's not just working out. It's thinking better about yourself while you're working out. It's not just using yoga. It's allowing yourself to relax and trust. You know, it's more than one thing. And sometimes when you're getting a biblical answer, it seems to come flat because you don't know how to believe in it or how to hold on to it anymore. And the truth is there's scriptures that can speak the very opposite of what another one speaks. And I actually mean that in a good way. So for instance, with divorce, they'll come along and quote scriptures that tell us, you know, how you should stay with your partner. So you can sanctify the marriage. Mm -hmm. Their scriptures will also tell you what to not allow in your home, no strife, no malice, no drinking, no debauchery. And yet, so you'll have a pastor counsel you to stay in a marriage where you have gambling, and sex addiction and other issues going on when there's a plenty of the new Testament that says to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean to run out and get a divorce. And maybe that's where you could get some advice from your pastor is a separation or some boundaries, but there really are as many scriptures to counteract one thought as there are another. It's just needing to read them for you with some wisdom. Yeah. And I think that's why I talk so frequently on the podcast about uh, if you're a Christian and you're seeking therapy, to find a Christian therapist who is trained in integration of the two. And if you're seeking counsel from your pastor, make sure that he is trauma-informed. And I think a lot of people might feel like they don't They have to pick either a secular therapist who's not going to understand why they want to honor the scripture, or they're going to have to pick their pastor who doesn't understand some of these nuances. And so, like for a lot of people, it's either or, and there doesn't seem to be enough people walking that middle, like integrating both. Do you find that to be true? Absolutely. And I can say that just from working in the community, you see a large need. I think the pregnancy centers do a good job of balancing. They might 
sway people a little harder towards um, salvation at a critical time, but they are trying to meet a need, deal with the emotions, let's say, of an expectant mom who could be 15 herself. They yeah. see the whole person. Mm -hmm. And I think it's difficult sometimes for pastors to see the whole person. They see their parishioner. Yeah. And they must be in shock as well, because we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. So, yeah. Yeah. If you've listened to the Soul Grip podcast for even one episode, you know my guests and I believe that when we integrate the power of God with the wisdom of modern psychology, we get supercharged healing, change, and growth in counseling. As a Christian therapist, however, I realize that there are many practitioners out there who are personally Christians but don't know how to integrate their faith into their counseling practices. That's why I created the e-course, Faith Integration for Therapists. In this premium five-module course, therapists who love Jesus will learn everything from understanding their calling to marketing their practices to Christians to adapting evidence-based interventions to honor our faith. You can learn more about the online course at www.soulgritresources.com courses and send an email to info at soulgritresources.com to receive a discount code. Recently, a friend, this isn't a client, um, but a friend asked me if um, I'm noticing in my congregation that there are women who are in marriages that seem to be verbally abusive and the the men in these situations are still in positions of leadership in in the church like what can i do as a concerned woman and you mentioned you know we're coming up here on domestic violence awareness month and so this is something that's going to be um a little bit more out in the open when this episode airs and we're going to be talking about it a little bit more so what would be your words of wisdom for someone who's in that situation? Like maybe, um, maybe verbal abuse is not something that the church leadership has recognized as a problem. Verbal abuse doesn't come off sounding all rosy and pretty. I guess we would call that psychological abuse. Mm -hmm. Verbal abuse is demeaning. It is breaking down the heart and soul of a person. And why would you want someone in leadership who doesn't know how to care for the sheep, the flock, the congregation, so to speak? But if that woman speaks up and goes directly to her pastor, it's probably not going to go anywhere because I would guess you would, well, I've seen it happen. The pastor might step into more of a business role to, you know, protect the deacon or the elder that he has. So what she might need to do is just keep her eyes and ears open for someone who could understand her situation. Mm -hmm. If she's already aware of it, then we have the head start. Let's talk, if you don't mind, for a second to the women who doesn't notice. I remember being um, working as a youth pastor for a few months outside D.C., and there would be a family that would come in every week. They would file into a pew and the father would sit at the end. And I would think to myself, what a wonderful family. Everyone's under control, spit, spitting image, clean, wonderful. And their son was in the youth group and he would never talk. His eyes would always be cast down, kept to himself. And I would say about six months after that, I started to realize, oh no, this is a domestic violence situation where there is so much control going on. No one moves out of line and they don't speak up because they're afraid. Mm -hmm. So to me, that paints a more visual picture yeah. of the verbal abuse that could be going on. Cause anytime you're afraid, 
someone is overpowering you. Yeah. I'm not sure I have a clear answer, but I find it worthwhile to establish and raise awareness on what that abuse is yeah. within the confines of a church. Yeah. And that was my response to my friend too, that if your church leadership has not really agreed on a definition of what they consider abuse, then maybe that's a starting point. Like, can we say that when you talk this way, that is abusive? You know, like, can we just agree on that? And then at that point, we can decide how are we going to step in? How are we going to have accountability structures in place and protections for people who may be harmed? You know? I know one thing that my church did, which was wonderful. They have a different topic where they ask a congregation member to come up and pray. So just yesterday's happened to be the pregnancy center, but I got mental health a few months ago. So I got up and I spoke for the need for prayer for therapists. You know, mm -hmm. we can often become first responders. We take on a lot of trauma. Yep. No one's thinking to pray for their therapist. But after that, there were four or five, six phone calls and people coming up to me saying, thank you so much. I didn't understand this. And their mm -hmm. story started to come out. Yeah. Or it made them think of a neighbor or someone who had left the church. Mm -hmm. So I think you're correct in saying we need some more trauma-informed work for the pastors. Mm -hmm. And I know them. there's been research coming out and has come out over the last 30 years that pastors feel very overwhelmed in dealing with abuse. It's something that just wasn't discussed in their training. Yeah. So hopefully we can change that. Yeah. And let's shift gears a little bit too, because we wanted to be able to talk today about how we care for pastors or how, how we help pastors to care for themselves, because they do have a lot of that, um, vicarious trauma from people. They have a lot of sticky situations because it's not only somebody coming in saying, I have abuse going in, on in my family, but it's somebody saying, I don't understand this passage of scripture. And it's somebody else saying, we need a budget for this. And it's somebody else saying, you know, there's graffiti on the back of the church and there's somebody else saying, you know, the bathrooms aren't clean, you know, like the, it's all of those things that our pastors are dealing with at the same time. And what I think, what I'm seeing happen is that pastors will reach this point of burnout. And when they have the burnout, that's when they're causing more harm. Unintentionally, they never meant to harm anybody in their congregation, but they're doing things that may cause harm to people where they get these church hurt kind of wounds. That's a beautiful analysis. <laughs> I'm wondering if they're taking time for themselves as well. You know, no one wants to come when they find out the pastor's not speaking on Sunday. Right. Right. I mean, I personally, I like having guest speakers because I like having the, you know, the little change up um, it makes it easier for me to listen when there's maybe, maybe there's some ADHD there. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I, I do think that pastors need more time off, but we're, we're not the structure doesn't support that. But beyond that, beyond just the rest time, how do we make the, these concepts of, um, you know, therapy or getting mental health support more accessible or more, more approachable for pastors? Well, hopefully we can discuss our ideas. That's not anything I'm feeling 
ready to launch, but this is a wonderful discussion on that because we can have healthier churches if we have healthier pastors. Mm-hmm. And there's so many mental health services available that if we could start to network better with a pastor, yeah. maybe they would be able to send some referrals, but yeah. that's going to lean on them really trusting the clinician. Yeah. So we could find ways to do that yeah. for sure. If pastors were listening, I think the issue of transference is something they would really need to look at. I have no idea if they discuss that in seminary, but I'm going to guess not. So when someone comes in having just lost their mother, if they had just lost their mother, it's going to be very difficult for them to keep in the professional demeanor to help you get through your pain when it's bringing up their pain. Mm-hmm. And that's what trauma does. It connects dots and then it becomes overwhelming and it comes out. Mm-hmm. So one little tidbit, if you don't mind, I'm just thinking when we read Genesis through Deuteronomy, Moses seems to have done everything. I mean, he is our ancient near East superhero. <laughs> I'm not sure how much of that he could actually handle, but when they have a million people who came out of Egypt and his father-in-law is telling him to break the camp up into smaller portions so that there is a leader over 10, a hundred and a thousand and 10,000. We need to remind pastors that they cannot do it all. And there is a lot of relief in delegation. Mm-hmm. So a women's ministry answering some of the phone calls coming into an office, if that's prepared or connecting our parishioners better an older woman counseling a younger woman through marriage or child rearing or an accountant giving a class at church. You know, we don't use the resources sitting in the pew and you didn't ask me this, but that's the reason I want to do the trauma pastor podcast is because we're so unaware of our emotions. We wear our plastic face into church. No one approaches us and we don't approach them. So we miss out on that, you know, connectivity that's so needed where maybe we didn't have to call the pastor. Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking about that in our small group last night, that when you're a part of a smaller church, you may know things like, like my husband's a math teacher. So he would get the calls for somebody needs help with their algebra or somebody else down the street is a plumber. And so if you had a project, like he's going to be you know, happy to come over and help with that. Or, you know, there's a lot more of just using those community resources, whereas in a large church, it can feel a little bit more uh, anonymous, which is what some people want. But um, I was speaking to another friend recently about how, like, he's an expert in finance, you know, and I have a background in small groups. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are experts in something, and a lot of those resources aren't being tapped. And so then the people who are in roles of uh, leadership are, are getting worn out, you know, try, trying to figure out what people need. <laughs> I believe there are more resources in a small church because they're accessible. And yeah. I myself now go to a small church. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful yeah. <laughs> as the therapist walking in. Yeah. It might be a work day, but that's an opportunity for us to love on someone and they don't need an entire hour. You can brighten them up in three to four minutes. Yeah. Always give a compliment. Always let them know they matter. Validate yeah. their feelings. Yeah. And tell yeah. them you'll check in on them. Yeah. And maybe we should say that to our pastors. That could help them right there. Yeah. 
And I'm trying to personally, a discipline that I'm trying to do too is not tell somebody, well, I'll pray for that, but say, Hey, can we just, can we just stop right now? Let me pray. It's only going to take me 30, 60 seconds maybe, but we're going to pray for (laughs) it right now. And that might make some people uncomfortable, but at least I know like the prayer went up. It didn't have to wait until me remembering it a few days later. I am so out of the box and I'm doing my best to contain myself, but that (laughs) is one of the main reasons I got off Facebook. Okay. Um, I got off Facebook to spend more time with my son and be more present. And I figured if I stopped the little dopamine hits of always feeling good when someone was on my feed or liked a story, Mm -hmm. I'd be better. But I was getting angry. I'm an honest person. I was getting flat out angry. I think I had put out a prayer request and I got like 11 praying hands from people I knew. Not Mm -hmm. one text, no one saying, are you okay? Mm -hmm. And like I said, I'm out of the box. I can be vulnerable with my friends. They expect that. And I should back up a second. It wasn't friends. It was a specific group of the larger church I was at. And this is one of the reasons that we left was I need that soul care. I need people to be around me to help me continue doing the work I'm doing with others. Yeah. And so no, no smiley and emojis for me of praying hands. You yeah. do the prayer. It's Natural. amazing. Why would you not stop? Yeah. Yeah. Good. It makes you feel better too. <laughs> it does. Yeah. You feel like you've actually impacted something because you know, God is listening and that he's working. So tell us a little bit about what we can expect from traumapastor.com or from your ministry, what's coming up. This is now the month of, let's see, November. So you've just launched. Um, Domestic violence is how I got into therapy. And I got to meet um, Nicole Simpson. You remember the OJ murder trial? I got to meet her sister um, about nine years ago. So I'm going to kick off October talking about that. So people will hopefully be able to go to my website and hear a little bit about how mental health and church can create that storm. When we look at domestic violence, um, the top three abusers are going to be pastors and law enforcement and military. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about the pastor role and this just sounds horrible because here we're trying to help pastors, but anytime you have an authority figure who is unquestioned in their job, it's very hard for them to come home and then be in a level playing field with their kids and wife. There's just, there's just a level there that can be hard to turn off. Mm -hmm. So October is going to be four interviews of going through with other clinicians of what they see coming into their office and how women can get better. They need to get better because domestic violence impacts their parenting and it impacts their social life and it can leave women very isolated. And as Christians, that's the last place God wants to leave us. Mm -hmm. So I would like to bring in some stories of how that's possible. And it's beautiful because when I looked for biblical resources on domestic violence, the story that came up was David and Saul. Mm. No one really ever thinks about that on how David was fleeing for his life multiple times and kept going back. And he was part of Saul's household. Mm -hmm. Right. And married to his daughter. And although I'm not sure if the chronology on that's correct. That was maybe later. After. But it's a, 
it's a hero that we all know. Mm-hmm. And it's just very interesting. So I wish I could give you a definite answer. I didn't bring all my paperwork to see who's slated for when. That's okay. But- I'm going to put the links for uh, the website and anything else that you give me into the show notes so that people can sure. find you there. And, uh, you know, our my company is called Soul Grit Resources. So really my idea is resourcing people. And when people like you who love the Lord and are also experts in the field of mental health are are producing things like this. I want people to know about them because I'm sure people listening know somebody who's been in a domestic violence situation or somebody who's struggling with um, the counsel that they're getting from their church versus the the mental health community. And so uh, I love that you're doing this and wanting to bring these things together so that people can get real healing. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. So well, you me- stole grit. let me get ask you my last question that I always ask my guests which is what are you doing for soul care oh I've picked up gardening yeah I have planted so many plants inside and outside it takes me 40 minutes to do my every other day (laughs) and in Florida it's hard because they're either getting root rot and there's Uh, too much rain or they're getting burned by the sun so yeah it is like being a mom at that and I have a 13 pound, all white, fluffy cat that I carry okay. around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Sometimes some basketball with my younger one and I go RVing and we can get away for a couple of days. Yeah. Does that count? <laughs> yeah, it all counts. It's like whatever you're doing to fill up your soul because you need that to function in the world, to you know have enough rest and restoration for you to be able to do the job that God's called you to do. Well, let me come back at you really quick. You weren't expecting this, but don't you find that some soul care we still end up giving? Yes. Let me, let me think about that. So when you're hanging out with your kid, because it does fill you up as a mom to be part, just to play, like shoot hoops with him or Mm -hmm. to build Legos with him or something like there's that part that fills you up. And there's that part where you're giving out. But mm-hmm. I think maybe what the difference would be is like in our jobs, we give out, we give out and it's rewarding. Yeah. But we get tired, you know, mm-hmm. and when we're doing more of a recreational kind of soul care, like we may be giving out, you're still making sure your kid is safe. Like if I take my kids on a hike, I have to make sure nobody tumbles down the side of a mountain. Right. right? But uh, the the whole experience is restorative to my soul. Yeah. Is that I what you were thinking? I'm stick with gardening. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. I just laugh when some people are baking, but they're still giving all the cookies away because they're thinking of the neighbor down the street. Or Yeah, because mm-hmm. it, it's the process of baking. It's not that you want to have your house full of, full of cookies. Like that wouldn't mm-hmm. be very healthy. It really, it's the process of doing this kind of in almost in like a meditative state where you're going through that process, you know. I do think working with my hands is a way to calm down. Yeah. I love art. Anything I can get my hands on is good. Good. Not baking. <laughs> I did some baking this weekend because it was a little bit gloomy here, a little little freak rain shower we had. And so I did do some baking this weekend. Well, I will leave you good. with this. I've been working on this for over 10 years. I've noticed that. I love to cook mm-hmm. because with cooking, you don't have to follow a recipe or rules. And yeah. I think 
because working with trauma, I'm hanging on every sentence they're saying to see where I'm going next. You know, it's like working with a puzzle. I can't handle the recipe. Mm. I don't want to measure, <laughs> look at it, find my readers, go back. Who boxed in for you? Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you why I love to cook. And cooking is one of those things where I would love to do it if I had all the freedom, but mm -hmm. when you have to do it day in, day out for a family, it becomes kind of a drag. But what I do like about cooking is that you can bring creativity to it. It can become an right. art form, but unlike a lot of other arts and crafts, you don't have the product hanging around your house. It's consumed. It's gone. Like by the next day, it's gone, you know? And so I don't have to say, where, I'm gonna, where am I going to hang this painting? I already painted 13 others, you know? Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's consumed and it's... it's uh, That's like a true mom. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. Um, can't wait to see what's coming on your new podcast and what the ministry that you're doing and the classes that you'll have. Again, those will be in the show notes. And so you can follow up with Jessica there and um, just thank you for being here. You take care. Talk to you soon. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at soulgritresources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.